This is Rating Descending. Where we watch IMDb's worst 250s so you don't have to. I'm Michelle St. Clair. I'm Abigail Ward. And this week we watched Fantastic Four. Four young outsiders teleport to an alternate and dangerous universe which alters their physical form in shocking ways. The four must learn to harness their new abilities and work together to save Earth from a former friend turned enemy. Wow. Let's watch. got the new airpods the other day which is not normally a noteworthy thing but i was also not expecting them to immediately change the quality of my day so much and i think that's okay just for like listeners at home abby would already partly know this but just so you know i wear headphones or earphones near constantly just to make it through everything. I find it very easy to get distracted and I find listening to podcasts or music turns off a lot of background noise in my brain and helps me like do simple tasks like get dressed and clean the house, you know, just like normal things. But obviously like headphones would always like sit on my head a lot and make me very self-conscious and like earphones are great and you know people have been using them for years but also the the cords are irritating it means i can't put my phone far away and then i get distracted by my phone itself so much and literally just like the simple thing of like the airpods being wireless and comfy in my ears and also like this is a huge thing for me is that i can listen to it quietly without it being just tinny, you know, that sound of like when you have earphones and it's down really quiet, it just sounds really annoying in your ear. Yeah. The AirPods can get quiet without it just being really annoying in my ear. Mm. And so I can like continue to have them on whilst I'm also listening to other things happening. I've never, look, I'm not the best person to talk to about quality of anything because everyone, sure. everything sounds and looks the same to me, to be honest. What like, the fuck? <laughs> I just like, maybe if I got new AirPods, I would be like, oh, wow, there's a difference. But when you're like, you know, when it goes low and it's quiet and tinny and bad, not really. Because I'm just like, this is just what it sounds like and I can't compare it to anything else. So I can't criticize. It's, it, it's just wild to me how much you, as someone who really likes movies and music, doesn't fundamentally notice or see a difference in visual or audio quality i don't i enjoy the content (laughs) i don't really notice any of the the peripheral things but you're not even no you're not even seeing or hearing the peripheral things without it yeah but like if someone pointed these these things out to me when you said it i was like yeah i think that's i probably it probably is like that but i've never stopped and thought about the quality of my airpods i take them as they are because they are all i have and they are god well, they are my religion. I don't question it. I go with it. And I'm like, this is the best product ever. I love my AirPods. <laughs> it's funny how it immediately we've started just talking about quality because I was coming at it from the perspective almost like as an accessibility device. Like, it's crazy how much small objects like that can be accessibility devices, even when that's not their primary function. When I, so I had a really stressful day yesterday at work. I was in the office and I was getting really overwhelmed by noises because I was just so stressed. Mm. This guy was just coughing nearby and his coughing was agitating me to the point of me being like, I don't know if I can sit near this guy. Like, I might need to move entirely just because yeah. this guy's just coughing all the time. And it's not his fault, but I'm about to have a fucking, like, nervous breakdown because he's coughing near me for other reasons. I tried these, like, noise-canceling headphones that my friend gave me, and I just hated the way they felt to me. I'm like, even though mm. these are noise-canceling, 
I this isn't making me feel better because I'm not liking it on my head. Yeah. So I just went back to my AirPods and I was like, yeah, I can still hear people around me. And I, I did notice like it's a different audio. I didn't know if it was better or worse. I was just like, it sounds different. But I put them in and I was able to just... I. I was like, I can't listen to anything light or tinkly. I was like, what the fuck do I need? I need some kind of audio to make me feel better. And mm. then I just put on really heavy death metal and it made me feel so much better. Mm. I was like, I need something angry with like an incessant beat. And yeah. I need it to drown out everything else. So I just put on this like death metal that was like again and again. It was black metal really. And it just helped me so much. Like it repaired my mood within half an hour. I was just like, oh, it just gives you that audio clarity it, like it, it it gives you the space audibly to to relax and unwind even if you're still working you just yeah. don't have to hear peripheral things anymore it was very good that's why for a long time i liked things with like a really good beat like i would listen to a lot of daft punk and lcd sound system even though i don't like the environments that you're supposed to listen to that music just because like it really helps my brain like tap into that groove and like block everything else yeah, out it's exactly great. it's like Black metal and death metal is good study music. It's mm. good working music because it's just so monotonous at a certain point, but so constant that yeah. it's like it just keeps you motivated, but you don't have to pay attention to it. Yeah. And then occasionally it'll be like, what do you in the open sky? The face of evil. What are you doing? What are you wearing? Tell me. And then someone's like, oh. Oh, that's when it gets atmospheric. Mm. It's good shit. Well, you didn't answer my question. What are you, what are you wearing? <laughs> I'm, the, this is the, I'm trying to be the black metal goblin. This is me trying to put on black metal yesterday <laughs> to come down from my panic attack. Mm. Hello. The black metal goblin. Good to see you again. <laughs> uh, yeah, to get, to get access to work, you need to answer these riddles three. I just won't work then. <laughs> See ya. Oh, no. Just pack my shit up and go home. <laughs> no. I only need the slightest of prompting. <laughs> and I'm gone. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, but speaking of wanting to leave unprompted. Speaking of what is fair. Hey, this week we watched Fantastic Four, or should I say, according to the promotional material, Fantastic. What the fuck? <laughs> they, they did that where the, oh, the T yeah, 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 is yeah. a four. Yeah. You know... Well, no. It's the A is a four. The A is a... Yeah, the A is... You know, the letter that looks like a four. Yeah. A. Kind of it does. A little... I see it. Mm, I don't know. If you see the poster, you'll go, God, they did not make that four look anything like an A. Mm. I hate it so much because it just begs me to pronounce it that way, it being fantastic. This film was really nothing to me. It surprises me how much it was nothing to you because of how utterly atrocious it is. It as is a movie. atrocious, but I, it was like, it wasn't atrocious enough. There was something about it. I couldn't, I no, had to stop and start it a million times because I was just not paying attention. I so thoroughly, like, hey, sometimes we have these big budget movies that are on the list that are just like nothing and boring and we got to find a way to make an episode out of it. And when watching this one, I was like, this is different. Oh. This is more. This is much worse in such distinct ways. What did I miss? Because I was just bored by it the whole time. And I was like, when are they going to become fantastic? They're well, still just four. Well, that was one of my major complaints, the whole thing. Yeah, they didn't become fantastic until, what, halfway through the film? They didn't become fantastic, let alone the Fantastic Four. Them getting powers is the middle of the movie. Yeah. And then them becoming the Fantastic Four is the thing that is implied by the cut to the title at the as the last shot. Yeah. 
You can't call the movie Fantastic Four if they're not going to be fantastic. It's such a pet peeve of mine in superhero movies. You can't call your movie fucking Roadman and then he doesn't make roads the whole movie. You can't, you no. 20 minutes, maybe 30. And there's so much of the of this first half that you can cut out to make it fit into 30 minutes instead of 50. You can't call this film Fantastic Four if they're not four years old. <laughs> I expected Cratius. Yeah. I expected Bibs. Cratius? I, you know, a crash. No, I don't. No, what is that? No. No. Crash. Hey. Hey. Crash. Crash? Yeah, Crash. Crash? You know, like a crash. Like a crayfish? Crash. Abby, you repeating it doesn't explain it. Explain it to me. Use your words. Crash is what like... Is a crash? Well, it's just a crash. No, 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 no. What is a crash? Use your words. words explain it to me. Are describe a crash? Ex- yes, there are words to, that explain what a crash is, and I would like, please... There's only so many creches. What is a creche, Abigail? Why are you withholding it from me? It's like a little daycare. It's like dropping off your kids at like a a preschool. Like, but it's it's also like it's not an institution. It's like say you go to a swim school. So you're taking your your son, your six year old son, Danny. He's the light of your life ever since you and your husband split up ten years ago, which is odd because he's only six. He's all you had. Yeah. Um, and he's already moved on with that fucking woman, Stella. Yeah, Stella's... Oh, my God. Stella's difficult. And what hurts even more is that Danny loves Stella. Yeah. And you're not going to say anything bad about Stella. You're not that kind of woman. But sure. But there's a lot that could be said about Stella that you hold on to. You've never said it, but, like, you know that she says she's 26, already a bit young for him. But yeah. But she's really 21. Oh, so you drop Danny off. Yeah. Right? To his swim school, six years old, light of my life. And you've got another son. And what his the name fu- <laughs> His name is Thomas. Okay. Thomas, Thomas. is three. I, I'm Maybe into two. It? No, three-year-old. He's two. He's two. Is and this important for the crash? Yeah. Danny loves swimming. Here comes the crash though. Yeah, here comes the crash. Oh, choo-choo! It crash town. I'm gonna crashendo. So you drop oh, Danny Jesus. off. <laughs> At his swim school. He uh-huh. loves to swim. Yeah. There's tears of, of, of the swim school. You can be... Enough he's, about He's Danny. a starfish. Where's the crash? He's the light of my life. I know he's the light of your life, but the light I mean, of my the life light of... is a sweet, humble crash. You don't even know what it is yet. Oh, but I am... But so into it. I am keen. You have converted me to cult of crash. I just... Please. I don't think you'll understand the full depth of crash Praise unless I Lord describe crash. to you... The, the tears that Danny is currently working I through at swim school. just but one inkling of the what a crash is. The reason that Danny loves swimming so much is that when he was three, he drowned. And in a crash? No, in the sea. He I'm getting to the crash. Wait, he drowned fully? He Did drowned. he die? Yeah, <laughs> is he for a, a whole minute. A little, oh, and he saw I, God. So you mean he's dead? He's when he a came back, baby. when they pumped water out of him, he said, Mama, I saw the face of God. I want to go to swim school. That's a lot. That for... brings me to today. Is it, so wait, Danny's so Danny came back to life or is Danny days. dead? Danny's alive. Oh, I thought he was a little ghost we boy. think. Oh. But he's never been the same since that incident. Oh. He just loves to swim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you got Thomas and he's my two-year-old. So I take Danny to swim school and I drop him off and he goes swimming. He loves to swim. <laughs> okay. Light of my life. And then I'm it's like, excellent. well, I should probably monitor Danny because Danny, oh, I've got things to do. I don't need to monitor Danny. 
I have things to I, do. I have to go do some shopping. But I can't I've wait also for got... my children to find out what a creche is because I'll pass on what you've said to me to them <laughs> by the time you're but done. You've got you've got Thomas, and you're like, you know what? I don't. I can't deal with Thomas and go shopping. And Danny's swimming, so I'm gonna drop Thomas in a little play den of similarly aged children. Man, I can't like believe it's been five years of the podcast already, and we still don't know what a creche is. That's insane. I feel like I just told you, and you glossed over it. What is the creche? Though? I just told you, it's a little play den for similarly aged children. What differentiates it from the things you compared it to, like, like a, a daycare, like a preschool, or a daycare? Because a preschool is something it? that you drop them off at every day and exists only as a preschool. A creche exists within an organization that does other things. So the creche is like the daycare within a swim school it's just a play area yeah well no it's not a play area it is like a play area but it's just a place you put children for some time over them there's people hired to watch over the creche (laughs) okay (laughs) you must watch the creche (laughs) yeah i mean okay so we watched (laughs) there's so much to get through with this episode let's do it i'll just get straight into the overview Here's some key details. This came out in 2015. This was directed by Josh Trank, who also did Chronicle, and then after this he did Capone. We're going to hear a lot about Josh Trank throughout this episode. I'm ready. (laughs) This was written by Jeremy Slater, um, who we will also come back to, as well as Simon Kinberg. Now, Simon Kinberg plays a lot in this story, especially because he was once the writer of some of the X-Men movies. Oh. But we already know him for writing Triple X State of the Union. Oh, <laughs> he did sound familiar. Yeah. Um, it is starring Miles Teller, Michael B. Jordan, Kate Mara, Jamie Bell, and Toby Kebbell. I don't like Miles Teller. He has a bad energy, in my opinion. Well, that's because he's a bad person. Okay, he's so a, he bad, is a bad angry person. man. Yeah. That's good because I don't even know that. I just feel like he has that bad angry man like energy. He is known for starting fights on almost every set he's on, as well as kicking up a big fucking fuss for not getting vaccinated on a set more recently. Oh my god! Fuck Miles Teller. That's awful. He's great in Whiplash, but his acting in every movie since has not been anywhere near good enough yeah. to justify this kind of behavior. Not fuck. that it's justifiable. Fuck you, Miles Teller. Yeah. Whereas Michael B. Jordan pre Black Panther, when we're still going like, damn, that guy is better than this movie but why is it and then we see him in something where he's really good and we're like that's why i've he's seen black good. panther but i trust you he's really great in it uh i think the third act still suffers from marvel third act but that movie's great oh yeah and yeah yeah toby kebbell that i know from rock and roller a guy Ritchie movie that i liked when i was 14 and don't want to revisit so i can still go i liked that movie even though it's, i know it in my heart <laughs> yeah. it's not great we've got a lot of movies like that it's also go is it tim tim blake nelson Oh, yeah. From Our Brother Where Art Thou and, and Buster Scruggs. And Holes had Dan Castellaneta in one scene. Yeah, I did notice that. He's got the most pursed little mouth ever. He does. Ooh. He's so distinct. I, this movie had a budget of $155 million and Fuck. at the box office made $168 million. Oh, wow. It's still a flop. For a tentpole superhero franchise, you know how hard they would have gone on advertising and yep. pre-production that isn't included in that budget. Making a $13 million profit when you've spent so much money this, is no good. This is less than a third of what the 2005 Fantastic Four. Fuck. Interestingly to me, none of the actors have appeared on this list before. Also, it's tough because I, I'll also make the disclaimer, I don't, I'm not familiar with Fantastic Four. I fucking hate superhero films. I think they're silly. I don't want to watch any other Fantastic Fours, but 
I don't know what to compare this to, but I know a lot of people love that 2005 Fantastic Four, and I trust that. It was on TV all the time. But this was my first introduction to a Fantastic Four film, and boy, was it underwhelming. I actually don't know. I think maybe one time I saw the 2005 Fantastic Four, but I did watch its famously mediocre-to-bad sequel, Fantastic Four and the Rise of the Silver Surfer, because I had it on DVD and my sister watched it a lot. And I, for whatever reason, was really entranced by parts of that movie, even though I knew it was bad at the time. I know an okay amount of Fantastic Four from just cultural osmosis, uh, so I knew exactly what they were not doing well in this movie, like notably Doctor Doom, who in this is... Oh, just couldn't be more not like Doctor Doom. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. This is my first impression of all these characters, so I don't know what to hold it up to. Yeah. Well, we'll I'll get into some of the differences sure. later. Uh, but for right now, here is the overview. Reed Richards is offered the chance to join a research institute when Professor Franklin Storm spots his teleporter at a high school science fair. There he meets Storm's children, Sue and Johnny, and is put into a team with Storm's protege, Victor Von Doom, to create a quantum gate. They complete the gate, but are disappointed that they will not be the ones manning the expedition to the parallel dimension on the other side. Reed, Johnny, Victor, and Reed's childhood best friend, Ben, use the gate to visit the other dimension, but the mission quickly falls apart as Victor falls into green energy and the rest of them are attacked by the elements, while Sue, in the real world, pulls them back. The four of them awaken a facility with new powers from their exposure. Reed manages to escape. A year later, he is found with the help of Sue and Ben, who, along with Johnny, have become military assets. With Reed's help, they rebuild the gate to once again explore the other dimension, but they discover Victor is alive, but changed and much more powerful. Victor tries to pull the worlds together to destroy Earth, but the four of them team together to stop him. Returning to Earth, the four of them are rewarded with a new facility where they dub themselves the Fantastic Four. There's a really hyper-condensed version of that. Uh, and yet it still feels really winding and overbloated. Mm. Like the whole entirety of this movie. Yeah, I feel like the film is overbloated, but nothing's happening. Oh, yeah, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Like, I will let you know right now, there's so much production history that we can and will go to, but I do want to just, you know, get your overall thoughts on some of it. You were at, like... What are your questions that I could answer right now about Fantastic Four to contextualize some things? I mean, I don't know anything about Fantastic Four except what I've watched in this film, if that gives you any indication. But, like, watching this film, I'm like, yeah, this is is the exact example of, like, it made me appreciate some of the Marvel films that I have seen, like Thor Mm. Ragnarok, of like, oh, you did something really fun with a superhero film. Because not all superhero films are bad. I just find that the majority of them are really bad. But... This was fucking awful. It made me be like, yeah. it made me hate the genre somehow even more. <laughs> it made me angry. Yeah, I just, I hated watching this film. I I agree that it's, it's easy to hate because it makes you hate it because this movie is so ashamed of being a superhero movie. Yeah. Like, it felt I, like it was trying to be a drama with superhero elements. It didn't even feel like a proper schlocky superhero film. It tried to make it really serious. Yeah, and that's like such a thing. I think since Nolan did it kind of successfully. Yeah. But even like the Nolan Batman still does goofy Batman shit. Like, I don't know. I, don't I know. hate the whole- I feel like it's so serious. Yeah, but at the same time, in the first one, he does things like go, nice coat, before jumping away, and, like, we are meant to laugh. Like, there's still some things. Those movies aren't, like, perfect, but I just hate the trend of, like, superhero movies that are trying to be taken seriously. Yeah, exactly. This is, like, a film that tried to... It was just, like... 
it couldn't make fun of being a superhero film. It was yeah. so incredibly serious. I, I and like, I'll it... get on side with a shit superhero film if it knows what it is. Yeah. But this was like, this is something better. It was fucking awful. That That is one thing that I always liked about Star Wars and that I enjoy about uh, two out of three of the sequels is that they know that they're silly. Yeah. Like, they're like, yeah, it's Star Wars. It's fucking weird, exactly. man. <laughs> I'll appreciate anything that is self-aware. Yeah. I've appreciated lots of bad films in this list because they've been self-aware. It's like, no, it knows exactly what this is. Couldn't appreciate this. It was so notable to me, the just implicit... <sighs> when you use words like sexism, it's loaded, right? Because it's not like there's anyone in this movie who's like, a woman can't come with us, a woman isn't capable. However, Kate Mara is the only female character on screen with more than one line. Yeah. The only other two female characters who appear on screen, not say things, appear at all in the background is one of the three science teachers who don't say anything and Ben and Reed's mums. <laughs> That's it. That's grim. There's that line at the end where they're talking about, like, they're trying to name something and they mention a male name and then I think Kate Mara's character is like, or her, or she. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, three guys and one women. Like, they're really trying to, like, sell it. They're, they're really trying to ram it down our throats that it's three men and one woman. This is the, it's <laughs> one like woman. there's f- fucking 20 characters and one woman. Yeah. And I know that there's guys out there who still go like, yeah, Fantastic Four is great because there's w- a woman in it. Yeah. And it's like, that's, but there's... And she's really hot. It should be half of them. She's really hot. Yeah. It's just, it's fucking so, like, deep-seated and implicit. Like, when they're, like, drinking and then going, like, let's go on the mission. It's like, there's not even a question of, like, why don't we ask Sue to come with us? Yeah. Why not? Gross. Just ask her. Super gross. It's fucking wild. And the VFX of this are also really rough. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Way rougher than I was expecting. And it's got the classic lots of shadows and blue fucking filters on everything. It's just boring. It's just so boring. And the other classic CG goo. All CG energy, energy beams, energy powers, flowing energy ends up looking like goo. And I hate it. I hate it so much. So my, my general overview for you is hated it was really bored. When I watched it, I had to stop it multiple times to just get up and make a coffee or a tea because I just needed a break from it. And then I would return my efforts to watching it for 20 minutes and be like, all right, I need another break. <laughs> it was a slog. Take me back to Alvin and the Chipmunks, the, chi- the Chipmunks, yeah. man. We were on such a high. That was a good vibe. Ooh, riding those summer breezes. Yeah. Ooh, floating to Flavor Town, like, baby. Also, what I do know about Fantastic Four, to answer your earlier question, uh-huh. is that what I vaguely know about it, despite having never seen any of them is that there is some kind of deal where they have to keep making it every couple of years because they're trying to retain some ownership over it that's like something vaguely that i know is that the reason fantastic four comes around again and again is because they're trying to preserve ownership over it for some reason whilst we will see a fantastic four movie sooner rather than later that is no longer the case that was yeah i feel like there has been a gap right no uh not really. I mean, there was a larger gap between 2007 and 2015 than 2015 and now. There's another one coming out right now? Uh, there, it's in development. Oh, okay. Specifically what it was is that Fox owned the rights to Fantastic Four and X-Men. And if they didn't do something with the property, it would eventually go back to Marvel. Yeah. Disney really wanted it and Fox didn't want Disney to get their hands on it. Now, yeah. Disney bought Fox 
in its entirety. Yeah. So there's no one for it to go back to. Yeah, got right? you. They own it. But, like, instead of taking, like, the property and making a different story out of it, they just remade Fantastic Four. That's pretty grim. I mean, I will... The, I couldn't possibly think of a movie more like tonally opposed to the 2005 fantastic four than fant four stick <laughs> <laughs> um but it's funny because that does play into the story even though i don't uh have a section about it well i'm keen to hear the story yeah let me get into some of the production history you, you preface this before we started recording that it would be adjacent to the island of dr moreau yeah. and t- in that it's very production history heavy and i want to hear this i flavored this like your incredible like whole thing on island of dr moreau and one thing i will also say up top because i should for a number of reasons up top i hey i i pulled information about the production history from a number of different sources but i also pulled quite heavily from uh polygon's cover story the post-disaster artist, oh. which was written by Matt Patches. So I'll Matt I'll, Patches I'll, is a great name. It's a great name. I'll let you know when I'm quoting from He's made that. Of rags. And I, I get into like a a third to a quarter of what he has in his article, wow. which continues on well after the end of Holy shit. I'm it's so excited. A really, really great thing. I recommend everyone look it up. All right. Read Matt it. Patches. It's really, really interesting. He's like a little patchwork doll. Um, He's made of little rags and he's got buttons for eyes. Aww. That's little Matt Patches. Like in Caroline. Typing away when he loves his superheroes. Because he's not from this world. Anyway, so having broken the record for youngest director with a number one box office hit with Chronicle, Josh Trank was a hot property. After turning down myriad opportunities, he decided to pursue Fox's offer of a Fantastic Four movie with the goal to make it his own. Mm -hmm. He really was getting offers. One of the things that comes back later is he also, like, got an offer to make a Star Wars movie about Boba Fett, and he was getting offers to make, like, a Shadow of the Colossus movie. This also includes him intentionally tanking the potential for a Chronicle 2 because he desperately didn't want Chronicle to have a sequel. Good. Good for him. Um, and that makes me happy, if not just because his uh, co-writer on the project, Max Landis, really wanted Co- Chronicle 2 to happen. Max Landis was the co-writer on Chronicle? Yeah, who ah. went on to make the critically reviled Bright and get a, a, and get accused of sexual and emotional abuse by eight different women. Yep, that so, sounds about right. Fuck Max Landis. So... Trank's first move was to hire the writer who had helped him initially story break Chronicle, Jeremy Slater. Instead of pitching his plan, he just stated straight to Fox that Slater was writing and the studio nervously agreed. There was no negotiation. He just said, Jeremy's writing it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting tactic. Already. So a, a recurring thing in this that really fascinates me. We've had so many things on this list where it's like, Artist wants to make a movie and the studio interferes. Yeah. That happens, but what you'll find a lot is Trank does unintentionally everything in his power to justify that happening. He's, like, no one is contributing more to this movie not working than Josh Trank. Okay. Is he potentially the villain of the piece? Is that what you're setting up? Or are there no, no. Are there no villains? It, it, I, is that a sweeping generalization for I me to make? I'm just trying to... I, I yeah, want to know I get the, the arc I get of this <laughs> I wouldn't describe Josh Trank as the villain of this story. He's like a tragic hero where you can see him making mistakes. But he's not doing them intentionally or yeah, mal- maliciously. Like, it's just tragic. You want him to make it and you're okay. watching him be the one who's fucking it up. Oh, 
Oh, right? I'm so like keen. That kind of hero. His fall from grace. He's hot property and is about to completely tank this film. Yeah. Josh Tank, more like. Am I right? Up top. Up top. Up hey. Top. Give me some skin. Give me some skin. We're too far away to high five now, but I will I will throw some, some of my skin at you. I feel like we've high fived a lot in this podcast. We have. It's usually from you just saying up top and then insisting that we high five. I do say it a lot <laughs> to the point that Claude had to bring it up the other night and say, <laughs> why do you say that all the time? <laughs> Um, okay. I'm not going to stop. So this is this is a, uh, a section of that article. Again, Trank came to Slater with a skeleton idea. His Fantastic Four would be the opposite of every other franchise kickoff. The end of the Fantastic Four was going to very organically set up the adventure and the weirdness of the fun. But the first movie was going to be basically the filmic version of how I saw myself at the time. The metaphor of these characters crawling out of hell. Developing the script was a similar clamber. Slater was a badge-carrying nerd ready to convert comic book lore into bombastic CG-ready set pieces. Trank was the opposite. Having seen a few episodes of the Fantastic Four cartoon from the mid-90s and having a general distaste for comic book movies. The first Avengers movie had recently come out and I kept saying, that should be our template. That's what audiences want to see, Slater said. And Josh just fucking hated every second of it. So he didn't like superhero films. Yeah. And he signed on to do a superhero film. Yes. Mistake number one. Well, because this is this is the, the beginning of the tragedy, is that he signed on to it with the idea in his head of, I'm not making Fantastic Four, I'm making Josh Trank's Fantastic Four, right? So he was going to try and humanize it a bit more yeah. rather than make it a superhero film. So if you haven't seen Chronicle, Chronicle... I haven't. The, uh, Chronicle is like... I always get that, used to get that movie confused with Super 8. Um, it is like found footage-ish. Uh, a bunch of young friends find like crystals or whatever and then get superpowers and then they end up turning on each other. Ooh, dark, grounded well version received? of superheroes thing. Oh, yeah. Like, like I said at the beginning, it was a number one at the box office. But was it well received? Yes. Other directors were praising him. Oh, wow. A notable thing in the lead up to this is like Spielberg was praising him. George Lucas was praising him. So that's why he was such a hot property. Like I said, the youngest director ever to have. How uh, old was he? He was 26, 25 or 26 when his movie was number one at the box office. What an asshole. I'm 26 (laughs) and my movie isn't even made. And our podcast is number 10,700. It's amazing. You know of the W head, eh? No, I don't. Counting that figure going up and up. I have no idea. Not on any list, Michelle. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So that that's part of it. But so he had that sort of idea of he was going to do the same thing. Actually, I did find, for example, at one point he had floated making this part of the same world as Chronicle. Like he wanted to make his version of it. But Jeremy Slater, I think, was the one who had the right idea and came in probably closer to what the studio wanted. And yeah. like, let's, it's like it's the fucking Fantastic Four, yeah. campy as hell, property yeah. from the sixties. You got to make it fun and silly. You got to make it fun and silly. There's no reason to watch it otherwise. I, I I couldn't include all of it, but there's so much of Jeremy Slater talking about like showing him movies and comics and different characters and Trank just nixing all of it. Oh God. Yeah. Shit. Slater estimated that he wrote nearly 18 drafts and 2,000 pages of material during his time in Fantastic Four. Only two of those drafts made it to the studio. In an effort to retain control, Trank acted as the messenger between Fox and Slater, leaving certain studio notes out of their conversations and only delivering certain drafts to the studio for feedback. 
Right from the start of the process, Josh told me I wasn't allowed to speak with Fox without him present, Slater said. I never saw 95% of those notes. About six months after beginning, Slater left the project. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did he get... He got credited, right? Like he was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he he got credited and paid for his time. Who stepped in to finish off the script? Well, that's what I'm about to get out. But you can see already, yeah, like this. This is fraught. Trank is very focused. Oops. Trank he is sounds... very focused on making his movie. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um. So, the studio hired superhero veteran Simon Kinberg to help finish off the script. A source close to the production told the uh, told Matt Patches the only Matt two... Patches. The... The yeah, only two weapons me, a movie. Yeah. <laughs> He's the death metal goblin that we were talking about. <laughs> the only- when you listen to death metal, Matt Patches comes out with his little button eyes and asks you what you're wearing. We're on to you, Matt. But he did write this one article for Polygon. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, he's, he's a great guy. Yeah, I love, him, love Look, him. Look, he's a bit of a creep, but he's he's a great guy, and he, you know he means well. The only two weapons a movie has are its script and its director. And this had neither. Oh. Yeah. We're not even getting into it yet, but, like, Trank is a cre- increasingly erratic the whole time. This is related, but a side thing. Trank also made waves by insisting he cast his friend and Chronicle alum Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Storm, a character who's traditionally white, right? Yeah. The online uproar over the decision plagued Trank, who said, I was getting threats on IMDb message boards saying they were going to shoot me. To find some level of ease, the director kept a loaded 38 special on his nightstand. IMDb gets like that, man. Yeah. We can we can attest to how wild those boards get on this, IMDb. This guy's chronically online, and it's his chronically online. That's pretty good. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I can't believe that he read some forums and was like, yep. I need to arm myself. Like, these it's, are just people. It's different when you're a public figure because it, it and you're not used to it. Because remember, this guy's like our age. I mean, he's also and he clearly went... a public figure in America because I don't know any Australian public figure oh, yeah, that would get course. a handgun to arm themselves because like, of IMDb. It's a very American thing to go like, I need to make myself safe. I'll get something that makes everything less safe. Yeah, not get f- better security <laughs> for my house, make sure that my privacy is protected. It's no, I'm going to shoot someone. We just lost 10 subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> no, all American. Yeah. Um, he later admitted that he also wanted to cast a black actress for the role of Susan Storm. Yeah. Because, of course, they're siblings. Yeah. But that the studio insisted on retaining her ethnicity for the film. Oh, wow. I was mostly interested in a black Sue Storm and a black Storm family. When you're dealing with a studio and a massive movie like that, everybody wants to keep an open mind to who the big stars are going to be. I found a lot of pretty heavy pushback on casting a black woman in that role. He added that being denied a black Black Susan Storm should have convinced him to step away from the project. Yeah, because the whole thing of Kate Mara's character being adopted into the Storm family was so strange. I was like, why did they get Kate Mara and they could have gotten just a black yeah. actress? You can you can feel the pushback. But because I don't know enough about Fantastic Four, I was like, that's really weird. I guess it's part of the law. Like no, it's, it's dummy. Not. But this is this is the um I guess this is the first act turn. Like this is the final out. That he doesn't take. But he commits and he enters the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now we're into the production, which is maybe the shorter section, but 
This is another straight quote from the article, by the way. Trank faced immense pressure as he worked on the script, storyboards, pre-visualized set pieces, and casting, and much of it was born from his own anxieties. The director came from behind with Chronicle and was suddenly in charge of something that everyone expected to be a huge success. A quote from Trank, that requires a degree of experience that we often underestimate. Which is, again, a huge thing. Like, he... I don't have it here, but he also has this whole quote where he's talking about, like, you get onto these kinds of studio things and suddenly you're working with, like, the guy who's been Robert Zemeckis' production designer for 20 years and has an Oscar and doesn't give a fuck about what you have to say because he knows how to do his job. All he cares about is if your answer is yes or no. Yeah. And even that needs to go by the studio. Fuck. So he's just fully not prepared for this, a fundamentally different job than directing an indie movie. Wow. And we've seen this happen so many times with people like Colin Trevorrow and Mark Webb and these, like, little indie directors who are instantly vaulted to studio Mm. and then go... Not prepared for the battle against the studio, yeah. Yeah. Trank fought to cast Miles Teller. But Teller's I'm a movie star now approach to acting, which involved questioning even the most low-impact performance uh, requests, caught him off guard. Teller and Trank allegedly got close to a fistfight on set, (sighs) along with repeated reports of Trank bullying Kate Mara due to his frustration over her casting. Oh, great. So everyone's happi. I'll come back to that in the The trivia I have a quote from her. The the one of three females present gets bullied. Yeah. Because some guy is an asshole. Yeah. That's great. Pretty much. That's fantastic. Also, Miles Teller did just come off the back of Whiplash, right? This was, what, 2015? Yeah. So he'd just come out of Whiplash's success of 2014. Yeah. So he was at the peak of his career, which would just make him worse. Well, yeah, exactly. He's just a young guy who's like, oh, I can do anything I want. He's a young, pudgy-faced, stupid dude. Fuck Fuck you. Miles Teller. There was never bad news, per se, but the general feeling was that war could erupt at any moment. Early in production, Trank left his dogs in a rented house in New Orleans where they proceeded to cause as much as $100,000 in damages. He then learned from Set that one of his dogs was at the vet after chewing up some vitamins. (gasps) By the next morning, the dog had died and the director had the most emotionally aggressive cry I ever had in my life. Why would he... So he left... How long were the dogs left alone for? A day? It's not It's not like they were left entirely unsupervised. They were shooting in New Orleans, yeah. which I, I guess I should have rephrased to specify. So he to left specify. two dogs in a house empty. I, it just said several small dogs in the article. Several I, small I, I, dogs. I, I, I don't know what that means. How many do- you know what he needs for these little dogs? He needs a crèche. <laughs> Jesus. It's a little dog crèche. I assume it was more that this is a place they were shooting and he was staying, but because of... Everything he had to do, yeah. unable to supervise them directly. Well, and that's I'm not judging him for not yeah, being able sure. to take care of his jo- his dogs for like a day. But his, his dog fleet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. His crew. <laughs> but it sounded like he had left them unguarded for like yeah. a couple of days. If he, he likes popped out for the day and one of them died because of eating vitamins, that's truly tragic and sad. Yeah, it and is. Of course he'd be upset. It's, it's, it is genuinely upsetting, which is why, which is kind of why I included it to know like, Hey, a lot of the story in this is pre and post, but the, even the production was fucking rife yeah. with trouble. So now we're getting into the beginning of post, which is really where it fucks up. Yeah, right? and I th- I'm sure you'll enjoy this because you're the, you're the post girl. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is all about how post to f- girl tells pre girl a story. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm pre girl. Oh, I am post girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Your superhero is you going from pre girl to post girl. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh my god, you're, if you made, ever made a company, it should be called Post Girl. Fuck. <laughs> That's so good. Fuck have I never thought of that? That's so okay. good. Uh, tra- trademark, trademark. <laughs> <laughs> registered. Sorry, I got there first. No! I was like texting something as I was saying. No! <laughs> Get in touch with my lawyer. <laughs> His name is Matt Patches. That's a a verbal trademark. You can't. (laughs) (laughs) The first cut of Fantastic Four caught studio executives off guard. They told the director the movie wasn't the marketable romp anyone hoped for. It wasn't for fans. The morose tone would make people uncomfortable. It made them uncomfortable. That was the goal, he told me, at least for him. So it's again from Matt Patches. And the studio started to describe it as like violent and upsetting and you can oh my god you can see some of that in the things like where he makes uh tim blake nelson's like head explode yeah right like that bit is the tone of the josh trank movie right right and oh and a a notable bit was uh when victor falls into the green energy and he looks like he's getting like ripped apart yeah which i thought even though the vfx were shoddy was genuinely intense yeah in in a way that was positive in that that's what was intended but negative in that it was really rubbing up against the rest of the movie yeah fair enough um that's the kind of movie that he was trying to make yeah uh and the studio didn't like it of course they were like, we wanted something fun we could sell to people. Yeah. This is disturbing. And again, this is 2015. This is like peak Marvel era. Like, yeah. yeah. I Look, I as much as I talk about, you know, production studios getting in, t- in, in, in the way of people's creativity, you're working for a place. You're yeah. a director for hire. They can replace you. They should replace you if you're not doing the job they need you to do. It's still a business. And I know that you have an artistic vision, but you're getting paid to make a film for them. I think as well, like, studio interference can feel like when a boss is micromanaging you and you would do better without their direct supervision. And that's valid. Yeah. But the idea of studio notes isn't inherently bad because notes are good because you, the one person, don't know everything. And the thing is, that boss still has an expectation of you. So you shouldn't be micromanaged, but there's a reason that you have a manager. There's expectations you're supposed to fulfill. That being said, I think he'd be better off making just movies for a commie and there's several directors who just, like, work entirely outside of the industrial system and it's fantastic and he had just come off the back of chronicle he could have done that he could have done that a a, a direct comparison that matt patch matt patches make is to both both greta gerwig who like circled around directing for a long time Mm. and uh ryan coogler who rather didn't go straight from fruitvale station to black panther he did creed in between which had a lower budget right like the stepping stone is important Mm. right um, now, yeah, this is where it's really starting to get sad. Fox began to hire other writers to write pages and scenes for reshoots without Trank's input. Trank ended up trying to write pages himself, but these went ignored by Fox. Around this time, Fox hired Stephen Rivkin, editor of the Pirates of the Caribbean and Avatar films, to come in and lead the edit. Rivkin shut out Trank and became, as he described, the de facto director of the of the film. After complaining to the Directors Guild, Fox agreed to negotiate a new deal in which Trank would re-edit the movie while Fox worked on its own cut, with each cut getting screened for test audiences. Shit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this guy, Stephen Rivkin, really does, like, f- from what else I read, just lead the edit entirely and wow. just not include Trank. 
And Fuck. he's the kind of editor who's also been like an associate producer on things. He Trankles had described him as like the kind of editor who cuts for pacing rather than cutting for performance. Mm. So choosing a shot rather than uh, because Miles Teller moves out of it quicker rather than the line reading, yeah. which to me explains some of the fucking atrocious line readings in this, yeah. especially by Miles Teller. <laughs> um, yeah, and Trank also said, like, almost every performance decision he made, Rivkin changed. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. Um, unfortunately for Trank, the two versions of Fantastic Four were never truly in a face-off. In January 2015, he realized that uh, he realized that, and this is a quote from Trank, there was no path out of hell, and that the studio had already spent three months plus millions of dollars for planned rewrites and reshoots that would fit Rivkin's cut. Oh my god! Because of course, the studio has the looming hard deadline of the Fantastic Four rights elapsing. <gasps> Right, of course. So At this point, it's like Rivkin's fucking film. Yes. As an editor, he, he's recutting it as he, a story. He's uncredited as director, but I see him on some web pages credited as directing oh, it as well. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, the fact that they spent three months with these reshoots, um, despite that looming hard deadline, really tells you how much they didn't. How much they hated it. How yeah. Much they hated they it. weren't willing to compromise on it. Trank spent the remainder of the reshoots trying to appease the producers and continue editing his cut in the futile attempt to salvage what was left. Which is, it was so sad reading how much he was, like, trying to still edit in the hopes that they would pick one of his scenes and drop it into Rivkin's cut, and they just didn't do it at all. Oh, my God, that is sad. Yeah, as well as him on set realising that, like, he would show up and the producers and Rivkin were already there talking about blocking. Everyone was doing their job. And he would just, a few months ago, he would have kicked up a fight and he just stopped doing that to yeah. try and be nice to them. And because of that, they would turn to him and go like, hey, wh- what do you think of this choice? And he, he said like, he basically always had to say, yeah, it's good. He, oh he realized he had no say anymore. Oh, my God. But he's still showing up to work every day. His spirit got fucking broken. <laughs> he basically got fired but was still there. That, it just seems yeah. like this weird form of, instead of just letting him go and expressly just telling him what was happening, we've encountered this a lot. Yeah. When production studios decide to do something and they don't inform the director but mm-hmm. keep them hanging around, it's so, it's, that is that is just a way to break someone's entire spirit, yeah. their confidence, their ego, is by letting them come to set and giving them no power. He he only is allowed to do this other edit because he complained to his union. Wow. You know? However, whispers of the turmoil even reached Kathleen Kennedy uh, and Lucasfilm, whose confidence in Trank was shaken by the onset disputes. After being asked to sit out his appearance at the Star Wars celebration in 2015, Trank left the Boba Fett project knowing he would otherwise be fired. Oh, my God. Fantastic Four, uh, this is a a quote from him, Fantastic Four, the Star Wars spinoff that wasn't, all the other development deals, they were the end of something. Wow. This is so sad. I'm getting, like, these really sad chills just (laughs) thinking about this man's promising career crumbling. And it is... Look, it's not entirely his fault. I think they should have understood his style and they should have had more talks about what the ideas for this project were before they started shooting it. I think they shouldn't have courted him. Exactly. And if they did court him and then they realised, oh, your vision isn't our vision, 
they should have stepped in and stopped. They should have replaced him. Yes. Because they wanted a different film, and that's fine. But, like, he should have been put into a different project. I think once Jeremy Slater left, they should have also let go of Josh Trank. They should have kept Jeremy Slater and replaced Josh Trank, because it sounds like Jeremy Slater had his his head in the right place for (laughs) it. I read someone broke down basically his treatment, and it sounded like it would have been, like... A A really good stock standard. Yeah, pretty decent. It certainly sounded a lot more like Fantastic Four. Yeah. As the release date drew closer, Trank posted a now infamous tweet that reads, A year ago I had a fantastic version of this and it would have received great reviews. You'll probably never see it. That's reality, though. The backlash was immediate, with some analysts saying the tweet alone cost them $10 million at the box office. Oh, my God. Because this is a huge movie, a huge tentpole movie coming out, and And suddenly the the director is saying, It's not going to be good. You'll never see the good version. Good for him. <laughs> but not good for him. No. In the Matt Patch's article, this is actually like the framing device. It begins with the tweet and then rewinds to his childhood. Yeah. <laughs> um, because the, the tweet is so notable. Another director, I can't remember his name. Uh, actually, I'll, I love that it begins with that right tweet. Here. I love the idea mm. of like this film about this story where like a guy's hunched over his laptop sending out this malicious tweet. Yeah. Drinking a glass of really expensive whiskey. He hasn't slept in days. And then it's like, that's me. Guess you're wondering how I got here. (laughs) There's a lot more in the article that I've got here that also talks about how he's, like, in his room going insane after that tweet because he just withdraws entirely. Oh, wow. Uh, Joe Carnahan, who was the director of Mission Impossible 3, publicly noted uh, that he is glad that he that Twitter wasn't around when he had the same problem because he had the same thing with Joe Carnahan directed Narc, a small film from 2002, and then immediately got put onto Mission Impossible 3 where he then uh, conflicted heavily with Tom Cruise mm. and Paula Wagner. However, he left the project and continued to have a good career after. He did not fire off a tweet that made like, studios yeah. massively really angry. angry yeah, cost them $10 million. Um, this is the conclusion. Trank secluded himself for months, trying to avoid the humiliation of making such a colossal bomb and the ire of the studio for his tweet. Of the time, he said, I didn't want to be a big filmmaker anymore. That's all I ever wanted. I didn't know what I was anymore. He had no interest going back to where he was before Fantastic Four either. Oh, wow. The, the happy sort of epilogue, because that is the end of the Fantastic yeah, Four story. Give me something. Give me a little treat. Come on. The happy give me e- like a little yum, 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 yum. epilogue is that epilogue. he afterwards realized, you know, he obviously didn't want to do things like that anymore, but he also didn't want to do the classic technique of just pivoting to TV and pilots, and he really still wanted to make movies. So he wrote a project about Al Capone and... <sighs> Uh, felt desperate because he managed to get Tom Hardy on board, but then Tom Hardy kept delaying it. So he spent an entire year just, like, going back and forth between three different places only for it to get delayed. Uh, His assistant in the article talks about uh, leaving him with some KFC going to fill up, pay for the petrol they'd just gotten, and coming back to him scooping the uh, potato mash was it the potato and gravy into his mouth while crying because he just felt like he was going nuts. Oh, my God. But then the Capone movie got made, which apparently... With Tom Hardy. With Tom Hardy. Yay! Apparently it, it has middling reviews, yeah. but I haven't seen it, so I won't 
criticized too heavily mm-hmm. or anything. Especially because Matt Patches talks about on set, Love Josh Patches. Trank seems like a different changed man. Oh. And he talks a lot about how he like went back in and realized like his own white privilege, which even though he's Jewish, he still carries that uh, as well as... Uh, like him realizing his anger issues and where that was sourced from. I, I kind of really appreciate that. Because I feel like th- there's a lot of things at play as to what happened with this film, but it sounds like he, he did have an ego and he was difficult yeah. to work with. And he was, as you say, nixing people's good ideas. And um, he was completely obsessed with his own vision rather than collaborating. So it yes. sounds like it's good that his ego got shattered. I just wish that it wasn't at such a heavy cost. Yes. I mean, that's that's what I mean when I say he's, he's like, the tragic hero of the story. Like, yeah, yeah, the studio interferes, but they interfere in a lot of ways because he is fucking it up. Exactly. Like, he isn't delivering what they needed from him, but they should have stamped down on that sooner. Like, everyone's at fault except Jeremy Slater. There is, for example, a side story about one of the, like, basically each of the visual effects, like uh, The Thing, uh, Invisible Girl's, force powers uh, like all of them were handled by different post houses but one of them otoy was hired to work uh was a really small company yeah. who instantly realized they were in way over their head and described josh trank as generally unresponsive and erratic oh wow constantly changing his mind which is another feature of what i read about a lot of the production stories so that is the tragic tale of josh trank and Fantastic. Wow, that was amazing. That was so tragic. <laughs> I felt my heart breaking for him, and I was yeah. angry at him the whole time. But I honestly wish him his success on whatever yeah, comes after. Yeah, you know Capone. what, man? It sounds like you've you've changed for the better. Yeah, and you went through a really harrowing experience. So, Josh Trank, I don't challenge you to a fist fight. Nice. All right, I challenge you for a long, warm embrace in a, on a sunny day <laughs> I on like the that. top of a mountain. Ooh, completely naked. Oh. I'm always naked. But that's true. I'm naked right now. Oh, baby. I'm in my birthday suit. Ooh. And it's not even my birthday. Oh, well, then, God, put some fucking... Oh, my God, you're right. It's not your birthday. Why am I naked? (laughs) The hell? What the fuck? Hey, do you want to hear some trivia? Yes. IMDb trivia! (laughs) As if I haven't just heard, like, half an hour of trivia already. Okay, but that's not trivia. That's a story. Tell me trivia. This is trivia. Um, I have... A lot. And this is... Oh, wow. I have... God, I, I do have a lot, and this is, like, a third of what I had initially put down. I thought I thought your trivia would be small because of how much... No. Wow, okay. No. Let's get St- into it. Because this is stuff that, like, doesn't fit into the story, but is still trivia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should look Fair at enough. the IMDb trivia page on this. How it many is, items? I don't... I didn't even begin <laughs> to count. It was so many. Fuck. Um, Remember how Raw 1 had, like, 281? Yeah. <laughs> Normally, I don't like the X and Y was considered for uh, this role, but I love this one. Mads Mikkelsen auditioned for the role of Dr. Doom, but walked out from his audition. Probably because of Josh Trank. Yeah, there's two parts to that. One, Mads Mikkelsen as Dr. Doom, fucking inspired. Mm. Incredible choice. Toby Kebbell fucking did his best with what he's got, but Mads Mikkelsen for Dr. Doom is like a born fit. But him walking out from the audition? (laughs) (laughs) The bad performance of this film in terms of box office is reported, as well as the onset drama, is reportedly what got Miles Teller dropped from La La Land. (gasps) 
because he okay, was initially okay. the Ryan Gosling role. Oh no, way. he would have been terrible. Yeah, it, it <laughs> would have been bad. He's not as charismatic. Oh yeah, I, I've never understood the appeal of Ryan Gosling. But if someone was like, "Which lead do you want in this rom com? Do you want Miles Teller or Ryan Gosling?" I think I know who I'm well, choosing. Especially because like I, I really enjoyed La La Land, and like part of the key to Seb's character is that like he is kind of annoying and intolerable, but he's also really charming, and you get it, and you're drawn into understanding what he's about with but Emma Miles Stone. But Miles Teller would have just been insufferable. Would have just been a fucking snobby, annoying git. Um, this is my one of my favourite pieces of trivia, because it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. <laughs> former is, it fo- Ma- is it Matt Patches? Former Fox CEO Rupert Murdoch oh. expressed distaste <laughs> for the movie, solely blaming it for one of Fox's worst fiscal quarters, earning hundreds of millions lower than their expectations. Good. Good. Good for you, Just Shank. Good for you. Good for you. Although I wonder if you could probably tie that to them needing to get bought out by Disney, and that sucks. Maybe. But, you know, fuck Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Rupert Murdoch, if you're succession. listening. It's really good. <laughs> oh, yeah, watch Succession. <laughs> But Murdoch, if you're listening, which you are, which we you, know are, you are, we know you're a listener. You don't have to hide it. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. The 3D conversion of this film, which was touted as being impressive by Simon Kinberg, a fact that I think is really funny, <laughs> yeah. was cancelled to fund reshoots. It was even edited out of the initial poster that advertised that the movie would be shown in 3D in the first place. Although the line in premium large format theaters still appears. Nice. Similarly, all of the promotional material features them in, like, a broken and destroyed cityscape, and literally not a single scene takes place in a destroyed cityscape. Yeah. Oh, God, that's... Something definitely got cut. Oh, my God. (laughs) During a a conversation with Emmy Magazine in October 2020, Kate Mara admitted that she had a horrible experience on Fantastic Four. She pointed out that she had two horrendous experiences working with male directors and added, have I not gotten along with a female director? Absolutely. And was it not the greatest work experience? Sure. But there was never a time that I felt this is happening because I'm a woman. Yeah. Where with the male directors, it 100% was only happening with me. It was a power dynamic thing. Oh, God. Yeah. That's such a, that's such a good insight as well. Really good insight. Because, of course, yeah, like there's... Women aren't perfect people either. You yeah. can get like there's always difficult women in film in the film industry. But you're right; it's never because you're a woman. That's that's one of the things that I hate about the conversation about sexism is that it like creates this weird dynamic where women have to be perfect, otherwise the patriarchy is right. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. It's like what we said: like women can't direct a movie without it being mediocre. Otherwise, yeah. women can't direct anything. Yeah, that's fucking insanity. Oh my god, it's so true. Um, I love this one because of how brutally it was written. Reed shows Sue 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, commenting that Captain Nemo invents a submarine that goes deeper than anything in history. This suggests that Reed doesn't know that the 20,000 Leagues refers to the distance travelled while under the sea, not the depth. The rest of the movie suggests he's smarter than that. (laughs) (laughs) Who wrote that? (laughs) Was it Matt Patches? Maybe. Um, In September... This is... This is one of my favorite pieces of trivia I've ever read. In September 2015, so right after it came out, Tommy Wiseau expressed enthusiasm in directing a sequel, having personal admiration for the film. Ah! <laughs> I wish. Oh, hi, Sue. Do you want to hear some reviews? Yeah. 
Reviews! This has 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty bad. It has 4.3 on IMDb. It actually has 4.2 now, so it's lower than when we're locked off. Oh, wow. Pamela McClintock of The Hollywood Reporter said, The worst grade that anyone can remember for a marquee superhero title made by a major Hollywood studio. So that's part of Trek's embarrassment. Peter Travers of The Rolling Stones said, The cinematic equivalent of malware and worse than (laughs) worthless. Cinematic equivalent of malware is pretty fucking good. pretty good. That's a burner. I get why that guy writes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that guy writes. He Uh, writes. This is an IMDb review titled, Excellent movie by Scorpio7909. I wonder what the star sign is. Uh, 7909. Oh, right. I do not understand the low rating for this movie. I am a movie fanatic and have seen thousands of movies in my lifetime, and this movie wouldn't remotely make my top 100 bad movies of all time. Technically, it didn't make ours. Clearly, the reviewers rating this one rating this one star have never seen a truly god-awful movie and i have seen so many bad movies it's ridiculous first of all this is not a prequel which is what i first thought since it's based on the same four people different actors as young adults in college sue storm johnny storm reed richards and ben grimm this movie is another telling of the first fantastic four made in 2005 and has nothing to do with that movie or the second one silver surfer based on that alone i'm sure there will be a second one with these same actors but there's no relation between this and the 2005 movie of the same name if you liked the first fantastic four movie you should like this too as it's just another version with different actors give it a chance and ignore the bad reviews because it was really quite good I'm glad that after a thousand movies, they've learned how to distinguish between two different movies. What I really just don't get is what the relationship is between 2015 Fantastic Four and 2005 Fantastic Four. I think you need to lay it out for us again. I really wish they elaborated. (laughs) (laughs) Here's another review called Old Ideas in... Fuck. Old Ideas in Today's World Greet with the Times. Sorry, actually... It's my favorite Bob Dylan song. Geet with the Times. By Graveyard Shift 1980. Oh, gothic. (laughs) The biggest problem I keep running into with movies inspired by comics are change. I get that people can be and are naturally resistant to change. Many of today's comics were created... they have a philosophical approach to this. (laughs) (laughs) It's not about the quality, it's about your mindset. (laughs) This sentence. Many of today's comics were created in a time where racism and difference meant something bad. (laughs) I don't, let's keep going. Let's keep going. I don't even. Good. I don't even know how to linger on that. <laughs> agree with the comment. Agree with that comment or not? No. Today, no, it's a not. Today's movies centered on old comic books ideas and uniting them with what we want today. I see nothing wrong with this. Ninety percent of comments on this movie say something about the Human Torch being black. Well, I say shame on you. I am proud to be a fan of comics in a time where we are attempting to break boundaries with old ideas into a new age. And if you can't grasp that, then again, shame on you. <laughs> ten out of ten. <laughs> no, they're right. Racism. We had a real breakthrough with the 2015 release of Fantastic Four. <laughs> I mean, this person's hit onto something that maybe this movie is lower than it should be because of Black Johnny Storm. But, I don't think Black but, Johnny Storm is really the but issue. Also, yeah, this movie's bad enough that it kind of earns it anyway. Yeah, I. They have their heart in the right place. You yeah. go Graveyard Shift 1980. <laughs> really got to work on your phrasing. You really really... got to work on your tone. <laughs> Just... Tone is all over the place, but I love the sentiment. Yeah. 
Um, You're here- a good guy, Graveyard Shift 1980. <laughs> You're a good guy. Here is a really short review uh, titled Outer Space by Mike Perp. <laughs> These characters gained special abilities by a fluke accident. I like the female superpowers. It's a good movie. 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> what I like about the phrase, I like the female superpowers, is it implies that it's not her superpowers in particular. It it's is- all of female superpowers. Yes. <laughs> Cooking, cleaning. Uh, yeah. Uh, Abigail. That's all I can do. Here is another review, a last one, titled Yes by <laughs> Bartholomew Bowell. Bartholomew Bowell? <laughs> I, I I had to include this because I need to crowdsource what it means. Okay. All right. Let's get some input. <laughs> Sorry, I'm giggling. Stop that. We're very serious. Good burger fries movie. Good. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's a slam poem. It's a slam poem. Good burger fries. Let me try again. Let me try again. Good burger fries movie. Good yum. Best movie. Good watch doom burgers. 10 out of 10. <laughs> that's all one that's, sentence. That's my favorite review ever. Ever. We've had some good that's it. That's what I was that's what I was after. That's remarkable. Well, knowing that you can't top the lyricism of that review, what is your review? Wait, before I give you my review, sure. can you read it out like a slam poem as well? Good burger. Fries movie. Good yum. Best movie. Good watch. Doom burgers. 10 out of 10. Snaps. Snaps to that. It's so true. <laughs> What's my review? Um, sorry, I'm just getting performance anxiety following that one. <laughs> yeah. um, it's hard. It's hard. I hated it. And the stupid... <laughs> <laughs> me. I hated it. I could... The fact that I had to stop 20 minutes at a time to just take a breather and try and get back to the monotony of the film and then to find out the absolute pathetic debacle of its production from start to finish. Yeah. But, ugh. Oof. That was good timing. <laughs> That's what I think of your fucking film. I think I simply could not watch this again ever, 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 um, and it made me detest superhero films even more than I did, th- than I thought was possible. I'm giving this bad boy a 1.5 out of 10, man. It's pretty low. I think that's fair. How about you? Going into this movie, I hadn't like read through all of this production history, but I knew it as a noted like ba- case of bad production history, and also I'd heard people talk about like Josh Trank talking about it in 2020. Yeah. So I knew that this was like oh troubled production, studio interference. What I wasn't expecting was to so thoroughly dislike Josh Trank's vision as well. Yeah. Like this isn't a case of, oh, there's a good movie nestled in there. There was never a good movie. Yeah, I don't think he had a good movie about Fantastic Four. I think he had a decent, like, sci-fi $50 million blockbuster. This whole movie, you know, when the, like, Battlestar Galactica does a three-hour miniseries before a TV show? And it's not very good. It's not very good? Yeah. That's what this is, right? But that's not what this movie is, and it's also not what, the other half of this movie is, which is a Fantastic Four movie. So, like, between that, the VFX are bad and also, like, I don't know. I, I just think it, it was never going to be good, even though I appreciate Josh Trank's uh, uh, <laughs> fucking uh, what, evolution, his, his uh, when, a, when, a, when a caterpillar comes out of the 
cocoon into butterfly. a butterfly. Uh, they emerge. Josh Trank has emerged from his chrysalis as a as a brand new butterfly that still made a movie that has forty percent of Rotten Tomatoes. Oh but God. oh my god, my drag name would be Chrysalis. <laughs> Go on. I think I agree with you in sentiment. But I'm going to give it a 2.3. Nice. Because at the very least, there's still like these individual moments where I'm like, it's not made by someone incompetent. It still yeah. resembles a movie. It, it just is like five movies on top of each yeah, other. Yeah, that's it. It does resemble a, a, a high budget film. Yeah. It looks like a high budget film. Bad VFX notwithstanding. Yeah. And also a complete absence of story structure with notwithstanding. Yeah. Well, that was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Please follow us on social media if you can. You Please. can find us on Twitter at Rate Descend Pod, Please. on TikTok at Rating Descending, Please. or you could email us mm-hmm. at ratingdescending at gmail.com. Please email us. I love Please. to read the emails. I will read out emails if you so like. I Yeah, put a disclaimer. You can even tell us to do it in a funny voice. We'll do it. Yeah. We'll suck your dick, baby. We'll do anything. Uh, well, I can't guarantee I'll suck your dick, but what I can guarantee I is that if you request uh, feats of skill or uh, 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 vocal alacrity of me, I will attempt. Michelle's very good at throwing daggers at people mm. on spinning boards. Mm-hmm. I'll live stream it. Yeah. Before the, and this is what the like the quote they're gonna pull when they show the like local woman kills friend <laughs> in freak accident. <laughs> And don't forget to find us on our personal accounts. You can find me on Insta under Abigail J. Ward. Or you could find me on Twitter and Instagram at Michelle.SaintClair. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a difference. I also but want to plug mm-hmm. uh, for, I know we have a bunch of listeners in Sydney. If you're in Sydney around the time of this release, the Made in the West Festival is going to feature a film that I edited called Toy Boy. It got nominated for an it award. Is, it is nominated for a whole bunch of awards. You got actually. nominated I got for nominated an award. For something you got nominated for, for best editor, Thank Made in the you. West. Um, shout out to Nicole Del Prado, the director of that, who was also nominated, I'm pretty sure. Shout out to you, Michelle, for getting nominated. Thank you. So, so successful. If you're in Sydney... Buy a ticket and go and vote for Toy Boy, pretty please. Also, I'd like to plug. Ooh. Um, Michelle will be throwing daggers at a person on a spitting board. <laughs> so don't forget to buy so tickets. We're dropping it you. on the Twitter. <laughs> I got nothing, baby. I got nothing. <laughs> well, Abby, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching Marmaduke. Like the dog? The, like, new- the newspaper dog? Like the, it- like the dog. The, the dog. Is that the one that Owen Wilson's in it? Or is he in That's, a different dog movie? Molly and me or whatever? Oh, who fucking knows? I don't know. Cares? Everyone was like, I cried so much. They're all just fucking... He's a big dog. Dogs he, die, man. And he messes it up. Grow up. All, he, all this dog does is fucks it up time and time again. All this dog does is fuck, I don't want to see this rude dog make a mess of everything. I've already seen Beethoven. (laughs) Well, catch us there, guys. Yeah, hear me getting angry about Mama Juke. Bye!